Welcome back to the All Outdoors Photography Podcast, where we share experiences out in the field and educate others through landscapes, wildlife, macro, and more with photographers from around the world. And today we have Josh Wiley on the show. He's an outdoor photographer from Eastern Ohio. So welcome, Josh. Thank um, you. I'm going to go ahead and ask you, of course, yeah. I'm going to ask you a first question here. Uh, what fuels you to really be so prolific in your photography and sharing all things outdoor photography? Well, you know, I think there's always something to photograph. And I think that it's, I don't want to judge other people, but I think that it's kind of a, it's uh, it's not necessary to limit yourself to a particular genre. Uh, I try to carry a lot of lenses. <laughs> I always try to have my macro with me. It's at least when it's not in the middle of winter. Um, I always try to have landscape lenses. I usually try to carry a filter set. Um, and they're usually in the back of my car <laughs> with me pretty much all the time. Um, I, I think that there's always, if you think about it, there is always a good subject, you know, every week of the year. Um, and whether it's orchids in the middle of the summer after the spring ephemerals have gone, whether it's um, different birds that are in the middle of their breeding cycle, during the summer months or during you know outside of migration whether it's you know owls in the middle of uh in the in the late winter in february or january whether it's um waterfalls you know at different times of the year um when you have good flow or good fall color so Mm -hmm. i i've kind of gotten into photography um in my middle 40s uh after you know dabbling in it from time to time as a as a younger person but you know not really seriously just you know having a point and shoot or maybe doing a little bit of astrophotography as a teenager or doing uh you know some point and shoot maybe while traveling as a 30 something but but really in my 40s uh, i got you know, several DLSRs, uh, the whole suite of lenses, and kind of threw myself into it. Mm-hmm. So you've always been on digital then? No, no film experience? Uh, f- uh, film experience as a kid. Um, yeah, I did astrophotography okay. on like kind of like a 3200, uh, the moon and the planets, and deep sky objects, that sort of thing. But really nothing, nothing since then. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that wow, like, the age that like made you just kind of go over the edge and start buying all that gear? Like what was like the turning point for you? Well, I had been doing a lot of hiking uh, and just spending a lot of time outdoors in my early 40s from like late 30s to early 40s. And it became the sort of thing where, yeah, I w- would want to spend my whole weekend, you know, dragging my kids on hikes uh, in rural Ohio, uh in um maybe in in pennsylvania or west virginia and i would take a lot of pictures with my iphone and people were like you should get a better camera so uh eventually in 2017 uh i ordered a little olympus and it worked okay um i mean i've always i'm always will always be kind of indebted to the olympus system for kind of getting me into it but then about three months later i went and got a on D500 and uh and then eventually I graduated the full frame and then a big a big prime lens so I've uh I guess I've kind of moved from 
from micro four thirds all the way up to full frame. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's great though. Cause it just, you know, changing camera systems is a little daunting, but I mean, if it like, it's really what the gear you get most familiar with and what works for you in particular too. I think the Olympus system is brilliant, especially in terms of the inter user interface and the menu system. Uh, but it, it, there's only so much you can do with a with a micro four thirds system in terms of noise, in terms of resolution, in terms of depth of field. So mm -hmm. you just yeah. feel like it's better suited to like what you're shooting at the time or are now. Yeah, I mean, I still have all my micro four thirds gear. I can fit it in one bag. Uh, if I go back to Iceland at some point, which I do want to do, uh, then I'll certainly take it with me because it will fit in one bag. It will always be there with me. I don't have to worry about you know it being in three separate bags and how I travel with it. But uh, but for the most part, I'm using a D850 at this point with a Z9 on order, uh, and there's just kind of the full suite of Nikon lenses. Mm -hmm. Nice, yeah. So when you first got that little Olympus, what were you shooting at first? Was it birds or flowers? or? Well, I was going to take my kids on a three-week trip out west. And this was really my first visit to Yellowstone, my first visit to the Badlands. I had been out to Colorado, you know, as a kid a bunch, like three or four times. And um, I, I was going to Yellowstone for the first time. And so... I, I went ahead and ordered, uh, you know, an Olympus, uh, and it came just in time. Um, and then we were off for three weeks, uh, just running around, uh, chasing landscapes and bison and pronghorn and that sort of thing. It's awesome. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So a lot of your images, though, nowadays are taken here in Ohio. Now, um, what, what like scenic features or like what are you really looking at in this uh, particular state besides it's being where you live right now, of course? Well, I don't know. I'm uh, I think somebody once asked uh, Jim McCormick what, you know, if he was content to be you know, in Ohio. And he was like, oh, yes, it's a great place because it's an intersection of so many things. And I, I, I really agree. Um, it is. uh it has a great variety of bird species, a great variety of flower species. Uh, it sits at the, at the intersection of several different ecological and climatic zones. Uh, you've got, you have, you know, some of, you have a bit of the Appalachians, you have a glaciated and unglaciated region. Uh, you have the lake, you've got the river. Uh, I don't want to, well, I will make an argument that in some ways it's the best state. Uh, so. I enjoy Ohio. I also go fairly out far or fairly far outside Ohio into uh, uh, I, typically for me, like about an eight to 10 hour drive is the limit. But uh, I'm, you know, I like to go to the Upper Peninsula. I like to go to Cape May, New Jersey. Uh, I like to go to the Smokies a lot. So Nice. Yeah. So when you go there, are you like camping or do you stay in hotels or? Is it just a day trip? Usually kind of thing, it's a weekend trip. What do you do for that? Oh, nice. So, yeah. mm -hmm. do, you, do you have a camper van or camping at all? No, I'm it... typical. I'm, I'm not that ambitious. Uh, my mother, I think, uh, did not, it did not help me to get really into the camping thing because I think as a child, the last time we went camping was with three boys, two of whom were in diapers. 
in the rain when I was roughly five years old. I'm the oldest of six. So it was, we didn't repeat that very much when I was growing up. So I, yeah, I'm just, I'm just, uh, you know, trying to, trying to pick hotels and strategic spots and hit as many things as possible on a weekend and then, and then make it back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I totally understand that. I'm, I'm not a huge camper myself, but you're already spending tons of time outdoors. So all good there. Um, so when you're going out shooting, um, I know you said you kind of started out hiking a lot. Are you still kind of integrating hiking or do you just kind of have locations that you can just go to, to get like consistent shots? No, actually the hiking in my, in my degree of fitness has probably taken a, a real beating because of, you know, wanting to slow down and, and, and spend time on locations and spend time on subjects and, and, and just, uh, wait, <laughs> uh, be patient, uh, be impatient, <laughs> jump around too much. But yeah, it's, it's not, it's not well integrated right now. It's something I kind of need to try to balance better. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it, uh, it is yeah. tough though with being outdoor photographers is cause it's like, it almost is like an endurance sport and like test your physical limits in a way. Cause you are hiking sometimes many, many miles and, you know, over tops of like different terrain and stuff. So yeah, it can definitely take a toll on a person. Yeah, I was going, I went to Gregory Bald and, uh, I tried getting partway up the trail last year and then the weather turned bad and I was like, well, (laughs) I'll wait until they, until they open the, 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 uh, the road from Cades Cove instead of trying to go up the backside from North Carolina. And, uh, so I, I do, I don't do as much adventuresome hiking as I used to, but I'd like to get back into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess like photography is first and foremost, kind of like while you're out there in a way then. Yes. Yes. Usually just, you know, chasing subjects, uh, whether the, and usually to me, the, I, I, my goal really is to accomplish something photographically every weekend or on every trip. And uh, to get, you know, not necessarily a portfolio level image, but, you know, something that where I learned from the experience or where I'm able to, uh, to, to see or do something new or whether I'm able to have a failure uh, that helps me to, to, uh, to prepare better next time. Mm-hmm. Do you plan each shoot when you go out or do you just kind of let things happen? Uh, I usually have an idea, and I'm usually open to opportunities. Uh, last, so I <laughs> just like last weekend, for instance, I was I was at McGee Marsh uh, on Friday. Uh, things were good on the boardwalk a little bit Friday afternoon. I had my son along, who's 16 and, and nonverbal and autistic, and he did okay on the boardwalk for a little while. I did the wildlife drive a couple times, but then I was like, you know. I there I really want to see more painted trillium and it's you know I everybody's shooting the same warblers this is you know this sort of uh this sort of shared experience but everybody's getting the same kinds of shots of the same kinds of birds and and uh so I went actually I left Lake Erie and went and drove down to uh to Pocahontas County West Virginia and I found a bunch of uh, painted trillium. My daughter was like, Dad, are these the flowers you're looking for? You know, And uh, so we, 
we found those, we photographed those, and then we went to the Falls of Hills Creek, which is wonderful. If anybody hasn't been there, I, I really recommend it. The Lois Falls is, is uh, one of the best places, or one of the best waterfalls, I think, in the eastern U.S. for, for being, having that classical simplicity of a single big cascade, or a single big arcing, you know, simple waterfall flow. And on my way back, uh, I ran into like a trio of Canada warblers fighting and then chasing each other all around on this uh, wow. on this uh, kind of uh, elevated boardwalk stairway right on the side of this ridge, you know, as part of the hike. And I was able to get a bunch of nice shots of Canada's. So, uh, you know, I, that wasn't planned at all, but that ended up being kind of the highlight of, <laughs> of the weekend, so to speak. That's awesome. Yeah, it's really good. And it's cool because, like, you're just saying, like, the shots of, like, at McGee, for example, that's, like, a shared experience. But, you know, the, the Tree of Canada, that's a it's a pretty unique experience. I bet no one else is going to get shots like that, of course. Well, there are, I mean, the, <laughs> there, uh, that part of West Virginia is a good location for uh, for late spring, early summer wars. I've gotten some nice shots there, and I mm-hmm. didn't expect to find the Canadas, but uh, I think, you know, you have to be open to that. Um as I was photographing the the painted trillium, I had a black Bernie and singing like right over my head, really loud, and I couldn't wow. actually. I got like one or two looks at him, but uh, I didn't couldn't get a clear shot or anything. He was up in this pine tree, but but it was you know it's it's a it's a good location because you get part of you know part of Canada really uh, part of the boreal forest down and in, in, buried in this little pocket of the Appalachians. Mm-hmm. That's really good. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Typical of warblers, though, to be up that high, uh, at least a lot of them, that is. But um, I know early on, it's like, for me, it was like always, I just kind of like went out and shot whatever I saw. Like, if I wanted to see some birds, I just go out to like some woods and like just whatever I may find. I'd have no forethought of like what I might see or plan it out. Um, so, how was it like early on with you? Did you just kind of go out to say, I'm going to photograph birds today and just see what happens? Like, how, how was that early on for you? Well, early on, I would always try to be carrying, you know, several different lenses, and I would swap them out a bit, and then I would get dust spots and on my sensor and things like that from swapping them out too much. But, uh, just always be prepared to experience uh, something to to uh, to be ready to switch it up, uh, you know, if uh, if the opportunity strikes, whether you're in the woods looking for wildflowers or warblers and but a landscape opportunity really presents itself because the light's falling on the ferns in a particular way or you have a river scene that you can do, you know, just always kind of be open to that from my perspective. Yeah, definitely. Or even combining the, you know, several different factors. Like, um, I know you have an image that should be on the slideshow here of a, I think it's a lady slipper, it looks like, and it has like the sunburst behind it from like, I'm guessing a late morning or sun or a sunset. Yeah, that's, like, uh, that's actually really cool. one of my favorite images. Uh, that was last, really. that was last, um, June. I was in the upper peninsula with sunset and this is shot with a 14 millimeter, um, wide angle lens and uh we're a uh, 14 to 24 wide angle with a full frame body and uh, you know I, I went very wide uh because i wanted to be able to get the sunburst and and i went out to f22 went wide got the sunburst got several different orchids 
I think there were really a total of like three or four orchids in this picture, but I can really only see two <laughs> image scale. But uh, yeah, it was, I, that's, you know, I also, I was doing macro up until then, but then, you know, the opportunity presents itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The tricep- Do you research <laughs> habitats at all for these plants? Like when you oh, yes. kind of try to figure out what kind of, Really? It's, and it's hard. So you do a lot of background research. Yeah, so you know, with really? with birds, we're blessed with eBird, which uh, you know, yeah. when people first learn about eBird, I think some people are kind of like, "This is a really this is horrible because you know the birds don't get any privacy." Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, everybody knows that unless it's you know a suppressed or late report, you know, time shifted record uh, that you know such and such is here. Um, with plants, it's much more difficult because they're not, there's not that sort of resource. You can use iNaturalist, and it will give some of that sort of data, and it probably shouldn't, frankly. I mean, the problem is the plants can't move, so they tended to get dug up by people who want to garden. And uh, Oh, geez. Especially the orchids. You know, people are... You know, the people were always trying, I think, to do to dig up orchids in different places, uh, and it almost never works. And it's it's highly um, advised against because it's you know, you know, fundamentally killing the plants. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and it's like this, especially like something like an orchid is so specialized to its you know environment and climate. It's like I don't feel like people realize when you take it out of that environment it's simply not going to survive in the much the same way too yeah at least not the north american orchids so you know <laughs> right yeah yeah so with spring being on its way out for the year like what's been your process with capturing like spring wildflowers because um, i do lots of ephemerals as well and um, they're one of my favorite subjects to shoot so uh, what's like your process with capturing those well yeah i want to find a location i want to get uh i want to watch the weather a lot I'll move around a lot based on the weather. Uh, ideally, you know, I want some cloudy skies, maybe maybe a little bit of sun, but not, you know, not a, a, a ceiling invisibility in a limited day at all. And um, no wind or as little wind as possible. Raindrops are nice, but you don't usually get those. Um, and then just... You know, try to hit a series of locations. Uh, try to hit a locations again because you can watch the progression. Uh, like Ohio River Bluffs is a is a favorite place of mine. Uh, it's an arc of Appalachia preserve in outside of Manchester, Ohio, and uh, it's it's a sort of place where you can go back, you know, once a week for six weeks and see the whole progression. Uh, usually, I haven't made it back that many times, but you know, three or four times in a season, you can see the progression. You can see the, where you know the trout lilies come up, and you can see where the trilliums start and where they end, and and where some of the other spring ephemerals pop. So things like that are, I think, are, are good. I think it really does pay to go back to locations, uh, you know, because you get you see more things. You have a better perspective about about your opportunities. You can you can experiment more. Um, so that's kind of that's mostly my process. Uh, usually take a couple lenses, of course. Um, 
And lately I've been trying, I got the 600 F4. And it really did help my bird photography a lot because of just the depth of field and the additional, you know, shutter speed that you can do. Uh, but I've also tried using it for wildflowers, and I, it actually works. Like if you can get if you can really? get the right angle, I mean, it does really well in terms of isolating the subject with wildflowers at like f four from fifteen twenty feet. Hmm. So yeah, I'm curious with that. Like, is it almost too far back? to be manageable every time or most of the time does it work out uh it's it's kind of an alternative to to using a macro but um sometimes it does work and sometimes you can get you know a a different perspective especially with wildflowers i think you have to be careful that you don't end up trampling all over the place i mean i've i've not always been the best person Mm -hmm. in terms of you know staying exactly on the trail and i see something off the trail and it's like uh well uh, how do i get there without without scarring the slope and slipping all over the place and so (laughs) that's it's it's helpful with that Mm -hmm. yeah i can can only imagine that focal length is just like how do you even get that unless if it's like straight down the trail or something off to the side yeah yeah there's only so much you can do at say 105 millimeters so (laughs) yes is it birds (laughs) or something yeah that's really cool though. Yeah. So like, what are your favorite like wildflowers to shoot in particular? Do you have any like favorites? Oh, I love the different trillium species. Uh, I love the orchids. I love the, the, both the lady slippers and the, the plantanthra or the bog orchids that we get during the whole summer really. Um, so, I mean, those are, um, and just all the other spring ephemerals really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all good choices too, because it's like there's many in, especially like the trilliums. There's a, like I think what six of them here in the state of Ohio. It's like yeah, there's and like then there's a couple like, more species that, that that are in other places in in the in the the, the Appalachians and kind of the Mid Atlantic. So mm-hmm. yeah, this is like cool because it's like just like a checklist of like how many different kinds can you see depending on the I guess the month or the the habitats and of course too yeah. Yeah, and then the summer, the summer uh, wildflowers are really nice too. I mean, you gentlemen are, or Ryan, you're at least close to Huffman Prairie, and mm-hmm. that is just that's like twenty an, minutes. That's an absolute treasure. I try to go there a lot during the summer. Um, <laughs> that and other places like that, but that's really the best place in Ohio for for the for the sort of community you have there. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, it's it's I definitely could... on my list for sure. Yeah, I've been hyping up Henry about that location in particular because it's just for not only birds all year, but yeah, the wildflower display in like mid-July is like perfect. I mean, that prairie is just on fire with color. And, it, and of course, that attracts the hummingbirds too. And it's it's just, yeah, it's such a beautiful place all times of year. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, yeah, tell us more about like your workflow when it comes to like exploring location. Like, how many hours on it? Like, do you spend out in the field? Would you say on a typical day? Oh, <laughs> um, I probably don't spend enough time at individual locations. I'm tr- usually trying to pack like three different, three to four different things in in a day. Uh, I probably should slow down more, but you know, I'm 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 researching things and and trying to make sure that I have several different options uh, with several different things to get maybe depending on the light and depending on you know what can I 
what can I kind of squeeze into into the day as a whole. Um, so, it, it, you yeah. know, it all depends. It, it goes I mean, both ways. A place like Cades Cove is a place where you, you know, you want to, you just want to spend a lot of time and you want to go back to it mm-hmm. and then you want to, you know, eventually, you know, spend more time out of your car, like away from your car, away from the people, like, you know, in the woods and, and, uh, and there's, a, then there's another, you know, whole range of, of destinations where it's like, you know, I, if I'm looking for an orchid, it's going to be on this road and it's going to be a roadside thing. I'm going to find it, you know, then I'm going to go, you know, an hour or 30 minutes to another location. I'm going to find a different orchid roadside, you know, and so forth. So. And do you have that knowledge from years past or do you just kind of, are you searching for those? I'm searching for those. I'm chatting with people on Facebook. I'm, you know, I'm using eBird. I'm using iNaturalist. I'm using, uh, you know, there's a, you can, if you Google hard, you can find out most things, especially, especially if you get old reports, you know, that that are maybe published uh, for, for state agencies or for, for federal agencies that you know may describe the conservation of a particular species and it's the sort of information that you know maybe somebody would be afraid to put in print today but if you can find an old pdf you know it may tell you a lot of things uh so that and mm-hmm. just i guess you know meeting other people in the field and you know doing small talk and and uh trying to get a sense of uh of uh you know tips and leads really Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah that's like the, one of the best ways to go about it and you're like you're pulling in all these different resources both online and in person so like it definitely captures the history and also sort of like the present day with it too and uh helps you see basically more subjects and get better photographs that way too yeah um and then you know sometimes you come across stuff that's completely unexpected in my portfolio i have a, a picture of a jura falcon and uh i went to iceland in 2018 for like a two-week ring road tour, and I didn't really want to tell anybody that I was also looking for Jura falcons, but uh, because I didn't want to come away empty-handed. But I was just in the middle of nowhere, and I was driving along to this gannet colony that I wanted to see uh, on the very north slope or on the very north coast of Iceland. And I was driving along, and maybe three miles away from the gannet colony. And I come around a corner and there's a couple, there's like two jura falcons right beside the road on a rock, you know, (laughs) (laughs) that was, you know, that's, that's kind of iconic. I think of, you know, you're, you're, you're looking for something in general, you're in the right habitat. You have no idea if you're going to run into anything, you know, Uh, and you've got specific (laughs) destinations that you're actually going to and, and the search and, find is, is sort of like icing on the cake. <laughs> yeah, I got to like follow what, you around sometime. <laughs> Seems like, you yeah, have we, g- good <laughs> luck, Mark, or something. <laughs> yeah. But then yeah, I went for back sure. for a couple days when, on that particular trip. I went back for a couple days and I observed uh, the second day. I think I got this nice close pass uh, and saw a bunch of, you know, competitive behavior with, with the youngsters the third day I went back and, um, 
you know, the, the what appeared to be the fledglings were, weren't there. It was just one adult. Uh, but he or she was, you know, up on a rock and, and flew over the landscape. And, you know, so, I mean, there, it's, if you put yourself in the right position, the right location, uh, you're bound to see stuff. You just, I think, need to be educated, uh, need to be open to opportunities, need to be intellectually, emotionally, uh, spatially uh, curious, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah. And a bit of persistence too. Yeah. Just to show up again and again, if it doesn't work out the first time or the 10th time and, you know, you may eventually get that shot hopefully too. Yeah. And then you miss stuff. I mean, I, I, uh, I, I frequently travel with small children. Well, they aren't so small anymore. One's 11 and one's 16. And they're sort of like dad, you know, <laughs> uh, but uh, I remember I got them, I was out west, and I got them up like two mornings in a row to hit Lamar Valley before dawn. And they, they were real troopers. They, they, were, they were happy to come along, and, uh, you know, we ate some stuff in the car, and we were, in, you know, in position watching grizzly bears across the valley, that sort of thing. And then the third day... Uh, uh-huh. I couldn't. I I let him sleep in the third day, and that was a day that the wolf pack, like, walked through the valley and uh, right in front of all the photographers. <laughs> it was, oh my uh, You know, it was like every. I I think I showed up ten minutes after they vanished. You know, <laughs> so well after sunrise. So <laughs> I'm curious now. Like That's how it, it always been? goes. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> always is. Yeah, I'm curious though. It's like, how's it been with uh, traveling with your kids? Like, yeah, are they are they troopers all the way? Is it kind of like, do they go like, Dad, I, can we give up and go home? I mean, like, how's it been with them? Are they cooperative for the most part? Um, it's still something I'm trying to trying to work through, and you know, I I I I like taking them out. I did do some of this alone. You know, I'm doing the the shared parenting thing with their mother, and so I. I'm, I traditionally, you know, I would get, you know, a weekend, a free weekend, you know, I could travel by myself or with a friend uh, somewhere. And then I would traditionally then, you know, take them on something or maybe do something closer to home in Ohio. So they've seen a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they've been. Yeah, more than probably any other kids, honestly, in oh, yeah. or school or anything. I mean, that's. It's a great yeah, experience for the for the age group. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So uh, have they yeah, taken go- up a, a love for photography or anything? Not, or just my daughter has dabbled know? in it a little bit, but not much, not yet. Okay. Mm-hmm. Do you let her borrow the camera, or is it just more like phone photos or something like that? Um, I've let her borrow my smaller Olympus from time to time, but but she hasn't. I don't know. It hasn't. It hasn't really taken. I should, I should see what I can do there. Yeah. Yeah. Shoot on full auto, basically. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe shifting gears here back to the the bird stuff. Um, So a lot of birds is like big part of your portfolio. Um, Where did your passion come from? Like shooting these? Is it just from like your hikes and seeing them a lot? Um, Or is it something else? Well, what is it? Is there a natural progression? I mean, owls are absolutely wonderful. And I mean, owls and bears are 
probably still my favorite subjects. Uh, but many people, like many people, I kind of started out with Raptors. I think the first fall I got into this, I I went to Cape May maybe four times to stand on the platform and watch watch the migration. I went to Hawk Mountain maybe two or three times that, that summer, or I'm sorry, that fall. And uh, I don't do that quite as much now. Um, I'm, you know, the warbler migration is probably, in the fall is probably more important to me than the raptor migration. Uh, but, um, and, and really, I mean, despite the fact that I have a lot of birds in my work, uh, I really prefer to shoot mammals. <laughs> it's just hard. I mean, there's nothing quite like being, being away from your car and having a bear like with you and, you know, you're going to respect the bear and you're not going to get too close to him or her. And he knows exactly where you are and he's going about his business and, you know, and there's this sort of coexistence, um, that those are Mm -hmm. special moments to me and, you know, or, you know, being in the woods and there's an elk and you're actually too close to the elk and you need to back up and you need to be careful. Uh, yeah, that's, I, I would prefer to shoot mammals if I, when I get the opportunity, but you know, they're pretty rare, uh, as subjects, uh, in this part of the country. So. Is that why you get a Cades Cove a lot for the black bears there? It's wonderful. Uh, but there, there's so many people in Cades Cove. That's one of the problems. It's just uh, Alligator River is a really nice location too. And uh, the black bears are really big and fat, like really big. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's in North Carolina near the Outer Banks. Oh, cool. That's a, that's, nice. I, I like to go to both locations and, um, I don't really have a third bear location, really. I mean, occasionally you see them in West Virginia, uh, but I, yeah, black bears I I, I really do love. Uh, people, I don't think people should be afraid of black bears, really. I mean, grizzlies are another matter, but I mean, they're kind of like these big omnivorous dogs. Um, they mostly are interested in eating nuts and fruits and and uh, they're they're kind of, they, they're either going to be afraid of you or they're going to respect you you know so mm-hmm. it's your job to make sure yeah that, I think it's that they're it's not that you for, don't discomfort them or make them feel uncomfortable for sure definitely I think it's it's great you're talking about that too because I think photographers have a unique position you know maybe even versus hunters on bears you know just kind of tell the community. Oh, yeah. I mean, the black bear is a really special animal. It's, uh, it is in our North American ecosystems, kind of like the analog of the gorilla. You know, it eats a very wide range of things. Um, it has, you know, these immense sensory characteristics, these immense sensory abilities where it can smell things from a really long way away. Uh, they have a complex social structure. Um, you know, they're, they're arboreal. They sleep in trees. They climb trees. You know, it's uh, but they fulfill many of the sort of eco, the niche of a large primate in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And we, yeah, the, and the Indians point. thought about it that way too. The, the Native Americans are first peoples. Uh, they thought about it, and uh, you know, as the the like the the black bear was like the wild man of the woods. You know, so. 
That's a, that's a great like analogy or way to put it. Yeah, I never really thought about that. That's awesome. Yeah, I also like to Data shoot waterfalls, uh, and I've I'm trying to get better at shooting fall color. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. have. I don't know if I quite have the touch, but uh, but you know when I can do landscape, uh, I, I do try to. Uh, it's definitely more challenging than anything else. And with the, with the with the flowers, you know, you get a sense of landscape because you can practice composition in a way that you never would with a warbler, mm-hmm. for instance, um, but or a bear, really. So. So what do you struggle with with landscapes? Is is it that composition like you mentioned? Well, finding the subject. <laughs> I mean, you can shoot the subject oh, that everybody yeah. else has shot. Uh, you know, I've shot Upper Falls and the Hocking Hills, you know, I don't know, maybe a hundred times. <laughs> uh, but it's fine, if, you know, going out and finding a landscape that, that's not, you know, on a, that's not on Instagram, that's not... Uh, that's that's new that's different that's uh that's that's a different look um that's that's very challenging it forces you to think differently about everything so yeah maybe that's part of the challenge in a way too because it does feel like you know landscape photography is more or less kind of like everyone's kind of shot everything which i wouldn't say is entirely true but it does kind of feel like that way you know sometimes or depends on where you're at too of course right Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there any like landscape shots that you like would try out maybe, um, or something that maybe might set it apart from that? Well, landscape is, I mean, for me, it's usually challenging because I'm usually like with people who want to be, who don't want to get up early enough or who don't want to stay out late enough. And so it's, you know, chasing, it's chasing, not just, you know, the subjects at the time of day, but it's chasing the light and chasing, chasing the opportunity and you know usually i end up turning coming up kind of you know not not quite with what i was looking for but um it's um it it is uh it's a challenge and uh and i it's one of the things that i do enjoy Mm -hmm. yeah fair enough yeah uh, is there any like favorite favorite stories from out in the field that you have, um, just in general from hiking and photography? Hmm, favorite stories. Um, I I spent a lot of time photographing stuff from a car and waiting in a car, and you know lately I've been especially with bears, uh, or or with elk. I've been like, you know, I really have to get. I have to get into position. I have to get, you know, out. Uh, I have to get away from, away from other people. I need to be, you know, in, I need to be, uh, you know, a participant in the ecosystem, at least as a visitor and not just as a tourist. And, uh, so I've, I've been trying to do that more. Um, you know, I guess, uh, I've also been trying to go back to locations, but I've also tried to, uh, in, in looking for it, well, I will tell a story about looking for orchids. Uh, I was I was chasing a particular orchid species in Pocahontas County, West Virginia, and um, a maybe two years before, I had met this guy photographing a Blackburnian warbler in the parking lot, 
of uh, of uh, cranberry glades, and he introduced himself. He had he had some curious tattoos on his arms of flowers and and, and birds and things like that, and uh, he was a school teacher, Scott Shriver from uh, Pencil or from Pittsburgh, a retired school teacher, I think then, and uh, he told us about this orchid that he had found and named after his dad. And I got some really nice shots of the black burning that they were photographing and, and kind of thanked them for pointing it out. And, and then two years later, I'm in, I'm in this, I'm in a similar place a couple miles away and I'm looking for a different orchid and I find the Shriver's orchid <laughs> and, uh, kind of unlooked for. And, uh, went back and, and photographed that population a couple times as it kind of went through its cycle. And that, that was, that was really, that was kind of special to me. Uh, hmm. So I'm, I'm doing that sort of thing where I'm, you know, trying to explore locations and trying to see what, uh, trying to see what, what, what nature presents. It's mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah, and also people, you know, seeing what people show up as well. Oh, yes. Uh, do you shoot with other people a lot? As, as not well, as like much as I should. As... No, I'm I've mm-hmm. not as much as I should. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, do you think it's just because of kind of, you know, the distance of locations you go to, you know, just kind of the variety there? Well, that... I'm also, when I'm with my son, which is often now, uh, I'm, you know, I'm trying to kind of, bring him along and keep him happy and he is he is an autistic nonverbal kid who's bigger than I am and and uh, he likes being outside and it's good for him uh, but he doesn't always understand why we're still on this back road you know trying to photograph yeah. this flower or why we're hmm. why we're waiting for this bear to get done feeding and to stand up or you know turn its head so dad can hmm. get a shot <laughs> so Sure. Uh, yeah. but that's yeah. that's like limited a me a bit, but uh, that won't always be quite. The, it won't always be quite that way. So, um, I do enjoy being around other people, but I guess. But I, I mostly just enjoy being, you know, being you know on the quest, so to speak. Uh, and that's that's often you know alone or just with my kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so great that you can have them tag along too, and you know, kind of like share the experience together, and that they enjoy it too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, like, when it comes down to like editing and post processing, uh, what kind of software do you use or recommend? Yeah. So, uh, I was thinking about this as I was as I was preparing for the to to be interviewed here. Um, I went through and and tried to do a, a, something of a portfolio. Uh, I have about 500,000 images still in my Lightroom catalog. It's kind of ridiculous. I've, you know, (laughs) I think I've shot like probably 10 million or so, you know, uh, but I've deleted a bunch, but I haven't deleted enough, you know, so, um, and I need to stop taking so many, Uh, but, but that, so I, I'm, I'm doing it mostly in Lightroom. Uh, I'm mostly applying, you know, kind of a common style preset, uh, adjusting that up a little bit, um, you know, setting the white points and the black points, uh, 
you know, I don't do that much dodging and burning at all. Occasionally I'll brighten, or, you know, if it's really like the face is in too much shadow or something like that, or the key is some key part of an orchid is in too much shadow, I might, I might brighten it a little bit. Uh, I use vignetting a lot. And lately I've been really challenged to play with, uh, to play with color cast and, you know, to adjust the hues a little bit channel by channel, uh, especially for bears. Uh, a friend of mine whom I have never met, but who has given me a lot of advice uh, through Instagram, uh, uh, Kelly Sharp, uh, One Lane Road Photography. Uh, she was like, you know, I hate to be difficult, but on your bears, if you just pull the blue channel down, you'll be so much happier, you know. And, and she, I'm like, you're oh, right. For sure. You know, I mean, yeah. you have to be, you want, you want it to be, you don't want it to be real warm, but you want to pull the blue channel down, you know. So um, uh-huh. that makes kind of all the difference in the world because you can still have that, you know, that, that fairly cool green around the bear without the bear looking like it's, you know, uh, a different species, uh-huh. the blue species of black bear as opposed to, or the blue subspecies <laughs> of black bear as opposed to the black spe- subspecies uh-huh. of black bear. So, mm. yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm dumb. Is there actually a more bluish species of black bear? Oh yes, there is. It's I think it lives really? up in Alaska, okay. uh, or it lives up oh, on wow. in in the uh, you know in British Columbia. There's a couple different species. So I mean, it, there's, uh, yeah, that's, there's a couple different or subspecies or color morphs. Uh, you know, the, the spirit bear in, in British Columbia is famous, mm-hmm. but I think that's a pretty small population. Yeah. The blue bears are kind of the same. They're, in, I think, a little bit north of there, but the same sort of thing where it's a blue morph. Wow. I had no idea. Yeah, thanks for yeah. educating me there. Same, same here, yeah. <laughs> uh. That's the stuff you learn with time, though, I guess, or people like that uh, helping you out uh, uh, with, you know, editing and just learning about the species in general, too. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah. w- with those bears, um, what's kind of the, the distance you like to maintain? Say, you, say you're not in your car and photographing it. What's the distance you like to stay at? Well, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I've been pretty close, but, you know, the – that's uh-huh. not that's not ideal and that's usually but completely by accident you know it's yeah. um, if you if you have a if you have a like a 600 f4 you can stay pretty far away uh, if you're down uh-huh. to like a 270 180 I'm sorry not a 270 180 a 70 to 200 uh, you know f2.8 that's that's a nice lens but you have to be pretty close and that's the lens yeah. I think a lot of people like to use, but you don't really, you almost never get the opportunity to use it, you know? So, uh, uh, you know, bear, the bears aren't coming to weddings, so to speak. Yeah, for sure. So for me, yeah, I mean, if it's, um, I mean, within the national parks, you're not supposed to be closer than 50 yards. Uh, that's, uh-huh. I think that's rarely enforced especially in roadside situations yeah. where the rangers are kind of managing the, the contact anyways. Uh, but, you know, in general, you want to... Yeah, and as, as far as I know there, too, if it walks up on you, right. it's the rule kind of goes out the window, too, because right. there's really nothing you could do. So Right. Well, those those rules exist for to keep people from harassing the bears, which 
Exactly. And it's, I mean, the world has changed so much. You talk to old timers in the Smokies and they're like, well, when we were kids, we used to come up here with, with, uh, with bread, with jam and butter and feed, oh, and feed no. the bears. Oh, and it was God. like, wow. no, but this is what people did in like the forties or fifties. I mean, it was just, we didn't think anything of it. So. Yep. Wow. <laughs> now my, my grandpa used to go to trash dumps. He, he lived in Michigan and they would, every night the black bears would come in and they'd feed them and watch them go through the trash. It was like a nightly thing. <laughs> <laughs> Well, in Yellowstone, they used yeah, to have grandstands. Weird, but, uh, you know, they, they used to have grandstands bit. and bring out the trash, and people would would sit in the grandstands and watch the bears eat the trash. And I think this was around mammoth or <laughs> yeah. something. <laughs> that actually sounds like one of the more safer methods, from what we've heard. So. Yeah, yeah. At least you're yeah. probably about fifty yards uh-huh. or so, right? <laughs> At enough distance for yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so how much of like ethics is really incorporated into like your photography? Like you mentioned about trying not to trample over wildflowers or, you know, just being close to bears, but like how much of that or even like conservation goes into your photography? Uh, I, how should I put this? I mean, if I don't think that a website that was, it's titled the unethical photographer would sell prints very well. Uh, you know, right. I do try to be, I do try to be mindful, uh, you know, I mean, I don't know. Is there like, uh, should we talk about calling? <laughs> um, I think a lot of, I think more photographers call birds than we're prepared to admit. Uh, I have uh-huh. sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, there seems to be kind of a, uh, a don't ask, don't tell sort of mentality about it. Uh, it is very counterproductive at a certain point, you know, uh, because you'll, mm-hmm. you'll induce, you know, the, the bird to be, to be agitated and it's pretty obvious and you're not, you're not going to get uh-huh. shots. I mean, anyways, uh, with wildflowers, yeah. um, you know, most of these wildflowers are in pretty fragile habitats. And, you know, they, you have to, you don't want to trample, you know, you don't want to start, um, you don't want to start damaging, uh, the, the environment, uh, you know, the, the, the in situ conditions, uh, which are, you know, essential to them flourishing. Um, yep. I think with a lot of orchids, you know, a lot of these orchids are roadside, and uh, they're kind of in the middle of nowhere, and they're kind of in these kind of hardy environments where they just, they're, you know, summer weeds for all intents and purposes. And, you know, you can, I don't want to say you can get away with a lot, but they're not, they're not, uh, they, they frequently aren't nearly as, uh, as fragile. Uh, you know, I do, I'm not above doing a little bit of field Photoshop or, field photoshopping so to speak in the sense of if there's a you know a uh a stray uh stem if there's a stray leaf if there's you know some other foliage in the picture i'm going to try to move it out of the way you know um but uh yeah i mean i try to present something that's naturalistic uh that's true to nature that you know leaves it that's you know the same as i as i found it um so does that does that help 
Uh, it definitely. Yeah. I think that there's also, you know, <laughs> human beings reasonable. are a part of, uh, are, are a part of the ecosystem, uh, too. And, uh, there's a, there's a wonderful BBC documentary, the human planet, which, you know, <laughs> which kind of corrects the perception that you might get from watching planet earth or the blue planet where human beings don't appear at all <laughs> for hours and hours and hours. Uh-huh. And that's true. And uh, there is a sense in which, you know, sometimes there's opportunities like you get, uh, I have a, I, it's not in, in my portfolio collection, but uh, I remember being at Babcock State Park at the, uh, the Glade Creek Grist Mill, which is a human structure to begin with. Uh, and, you know, having a whole bunch of photographers in the frame and, you know, you're waiting for hours and they're just not moving and they're, you know, <laughs> It's a lost cause, and, you know, if you use the right shutter speed and the right blending, you know, you can get, uh, you can, you can just capture the people who are, you know, trying to experience the landscape too. And, uh, so, I mean, there is a human landscape element. Uh, there is a human, uh, I mean, there is a human touch on pretty much all of these things, um, Yep. You know, I'm in Shawnee State Forest earlier earlier this month, and, you know, I'm realizing, well, there's a lot of logging that's going on here, but there wouldn't be a prairie warbler in this environment beside the road, you know, in the shrubbery, uh, you know, in my face, if it weren't for the fact that human beings have, you know, are timbering the area from time to time. You know, it would just be uh-huh. ceruleans. It would just be Blackburnians. You know, um, a lot of the orchids uh, do thrive in areas of human disturbance, uh, and you know, or areas that have been that have been uh, that have been mown from time to time, or that have been burned from time to time. Uh, you know, so we're a part of the ecosystem too. Uh, I mean, we're part of the experience of life here in North America and uh, I don't think we should sh- we should I think sometimes there's a little bit of too much of a a nature pure of human contact and you know in reality uh, you know a lot of species positively thrive with some human contact uh, I'm I work in Coshocton Ohio I live in Muskingum County east of Columbus and in Coshocton, we have a peregrine falcon pair that come in it's the winter here, every winter. And you can see, you almost never see the male, but you often, you see the female almost every day during the winter. And, and the, the situation is repeated in a bunch of county seats in Ohio where these peregrines, uh, they like the courthouses. Uh, they like these small towns. Hmm with these courthouses that have, that provide kind of like a, you know, a fake cliff, so to speak. And, uh, they really like those ecosystems and they like, uh, the fact that there's all these pigeons in these ecosystems, which there's all these starlings in these ecosystems and they can eat them, you know, and they, so, oh, wow. I mean, there's, uh, and, you know, getting rid of the invasive species too. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's a sort of thing where, um, you know, we wouldn't have absent. I mean, that is, that is, uh, that is a totally man-made, you know, phenomenon, so to speak. And that there's nothing, there's nothing ultimately wrong with that. I mean, we're, 
if we could coexist uh, with with the birds, uh, you know, as much as possible. If we can coexist with the flowers as much as possible, that's great. Yeah, it's definitely a good way to put it. Yeah, it's just kind of like the cause and effect of things, but it does. It can kind of turn out for the better, depending on the, the I guess, the relationship of everything too. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, yeah. So as we wrap up the episode here, Josh, uh, is there any uh, shout outs uh, you want to give or dream locations? Uh, do you have any upcoming trips planned and uh, any closing thoughts? Uh, well, I'm chasing orchids this summer and uh, and I'm really looking forward to getting back to Huffman Prairie and I'm really looking forward to seeing more bears. Uh, in terms of shout outs, uh, Oh gee, I would I would again shout out Kelly Sharp, uh, One Lane photo- One Lane Road Photography uh, on Instagram. Uh, I really love her Tennessee. We'll put her work. link down below for sure. Yeah, she's she's mm-hmm. wonderful, um, and is a real character. And her posts are wonderful because she tells you a lot about about the environment, and she tells you a lot about life in general. Um, Got it. You know, I've learned a lot from a particular Cleveland photographer. A friend of mine, Ken Bush, uh, and he—I guess in some circles, maybe he's a little bit controversial, but he has a genius, I think, for for captioning and for for being persistent about subjects, especially or mostly mostly all birds, but a few landscape and other subjects. And I've really learned a lot from him. And uh, I'd also shout out uh, Catherine Kubert. Uh, she's Columbus based and she's taught me a lot about flower photography and, uh, and wildflowers in general. Uh, and, and I really appreciate that. That's great. Awesome. awesome. Yeah. yeah. Yes, and then as far as you, like where, where's the best place for everybody to view your work? Okay. Yeah. I'm at, I'm at Instagram under, uh, Joshua Wiley images. And I used to be under Big R Romantic, which meant like capital R, 19th century romantic, but people, it didn't, <laughs> that was too hard to explain. So I went back, you know, I, I after considering different brand names, I was like, my brother Samuel was like, well, you know, with photography, it's not like you're selling multiples or you're trying to promote multiple things. You're just promoting one thing yourself, really, you know, so people want they want us. They wanted to, to connect with the photographer, so you should just use your own name. So that's what I did, mm-hmm. and uh, I have a website, and I need to do more work to develop it in terms of portfolioizing it and making it uh, something that uh, that is that's appropriately curate, curated. Uh, and that's JoshuaWileyImages.com. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, well, yeah, thanks, thanks for coming on tonight. Absolutely. I really yeah, thank appreciate you, Josh. it. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate you. all, I uh, I appreciate both of your gentlemen's work. And uh, it's it's a wonderful experience to, uh, to, to participate in podcasts like this and to listen to the content that you gentlemen put out. Oh, I really thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, we like your photography as well. Um, it's always great seeing your images and just learning about the you know, plant and bird species, you know, and I do from each image too. Thank you so much for watching the Owl Outdoors Photography Podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and the video version on YouTube as well. You can subscribe down below, and we look forward to seeing you in the next one. Thank you.